Corinthians. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, it might flop open to this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember, your Bible used to just open by itself to Corinthians because we lived in Corinthians for so long. Well, I'm taking us back there this morning. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15 to observe some thoughts from Paul. And we're going to get help from Paul in a, in a timely fashion. This week is Thanksgiving week. And uh, I got to say, as a concept of, of what got created to create a holiday that's focused on Thanksgiving, I, I don't know if there's a better man-made holiday, more biblically speaking, than that one, right? Thanksgiving, the giving of thanks. You know, for a Christian, that's a massively important dimension of who we are. But, but let me just ask you this before we even open uh, up the word this morning. How many of you guys would feel like your life, your attitude, the people who hang out with you would describe the way you feel, the way it is to be with you as, now that's a person who's just full of gratitude. Would you, would you feel that way about yourself? Would you feel like gratitude is, is a regular experience for me, just kind of, it just kind of oozes out of my pores. There's, there's just moments where I'm captured by the sense of, wow, man, God, thank you. And just kind of overwhelmed by that feeling. And I know, I realize as I'm, I'm saying that, you know, I don't know the, the line's going to be real long for me to have my family all go, yeah, that's what dad's like. I mean, most of the time I'm around him, he's just oozing with gratitude. I'm not aware that I'm gr- grateful enough. And so I'm hoping today this is going to be very helpful in that. But, but one of the things I want to highlight, not spend too much time developing this thought, is there are experiences in our lives that come to us from deeper places. And so the, the message that we're going to be interacting with this week and next week are, are related. Gratitude and grace. The gratitude that we experience in our lives and that we give away and we express, it's related to the way grace operates in us. And so I think it's fair for me to say this. We want to diagnose, you know, why why am I struggling with being grateful in life? Well, it probably is related to some of what we're going to talk about today. When, When grace sits in us the way God designed it to sit in us, It squeaks out of us in gratitude. And when gratitude is lacking, it probably indicates maybe something about our understanding of grace is struggling as well. So let's visit with the Apostle Paul here. What I want you to notice in this passage is what we're going to title the message today. Grace gets realized. Grace isn't just a concept to sit on a shelf. Paul's going to realize grace in this passage, and we want to do that as well. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. No, no, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray together. Father, I think we all can draw near to you and recognize, Lord, we, we see so little of what magnificent things you have done on our behalf. 
And our hope to see more, Lord, is by the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we come to you today. Would you, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you engage our ability to hear from you and to interact with you and to be led by you into a deeper understanding of the grace of God in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I appreciate Paul does something in this passage. He lays out the gospel. This is one of the most famous verses. If you want to unpack the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is your starting point. It's got all the essential elements of the gospel. But, but then Paul does something that I think every one of us need to pay attention to. He begins to describe, here's the gospel, and, and then how Jesus appeared. He uses that word, appeared. He appeared to this one, and he appeared to that one, and then to that one. And to this group, and last of all, he appeared to me. Let me just throw this out as a thought for any of us. The the gospel is not intended to be some institution for some massive group and collection of people over there somewhere. It's intended to be Jesus being personal. It's intended to have each one of us have the ability to say, he appeared to me. He came near to me. This became real to me. Now, when Paul does that, he unpacks a specific word, right? He starts with the gospel. He describes the activity of the gospel. Then he unpacks this word grace. He highlights it, says it three times here in this passage. This is grace that came to me. And grace had an impact on me. Now, I would say most of us are familiar with the word grace, Haven't you been around grace as long as you've been a Christian? But grace can get much, much deeper in our lives than just at an introductory level, right? If grace were a shoebox, right? Shoebox, you know, a little more than a foot, rectangular box. If I take that shoebox and I I fill it with styrofoam and I kind of toss that box to you, right? You know, styrofoam shoebox. It's a shoebox, right? I'm going to take that same shoebox, hold it in my hands, but I fill it this time with a solid gold brick of bar of gold that fits corner to corner inside that shoebox, and I, and I throw that to you. You're going to catch that a little differently? That's going to be massively weighty, isn't it? It's going to have some density to it. Can I just tell you that grace could be sitting in your life right now, today, like either one of those shoeboxes? It could be extremely weighty, or it could be really, really light. Just because we have the word doesn't mean we're experiencing the concept. Right? I want to kind of draw us closer to this word and, and, and let, let grace become as amazing as it was intended to be by God. There's a guy who wrote a book, Michael Horton wrote a book a few years ago called Putting Amazing Back into Grace. Love the title, and, and perhaps maybe we have need of some help this morning. In the first chapter of that book, he says this, the Reformation, which we just spent some time in the last few weeks, the Reformation produced an era of great thinkers, artists, and workers because it raised God high and bowed low the human head before his majesty. I don't even have to read the rest of the quote, but I will. If you want to understand whether grace is in the room with you, those are the feelings of grace. When grace is present, God is lifted high and man is bowed down low. But today, he says, the superficial and trivial crowds out the profound and the reverent, even in our public worship. Our services are often celebrations of ourselves more than they are of God, more entertainment than worship. Never before, not even in the medieval church, have Christians been so obsessed with themselves. Never before have people entertained such grandiose notions about humans and such puny views of God. Listen, you you may not be noticing how that phrase is, is showing up in our world today. But when you look at morality... Morality is elevating the grandiose notions of humans. It's adjusting these things. But we recognize this God who is incredibly exalted, uh, he's not all right with that. So we've elevated man and we have made God small. 
And you and I now are revisiting all kinds of things that make up human behavior. And we have great respect for every individual's right to choose their own behavior, to label themselves. But we have puny views of God. He says, never before, perhaps, has God been so totally forgotten and lowered in our estimation. Self-esteem, self-image, self-confidence, self-this and self-that have replaced talk of God's attributes. Ironically, this has created the opposite of its intention. The more time we spend contemplating our own greatness in the mirror, the more clearly we are bound to see the warts. Without the knowledge of God in whose image we have been created and the grace which has made us children of God, narcissism or self-love evolves quickly into depression and self-hate. If you stare out at society right now, you'll notice there's a lot of depression out there. There's a lot of self-hate. There's a lot of complications of people trying to deal with shame and things that have happened to them and how they see themselves. We, we have substituted an obsession with ourselves for an obsession with God. See, when grace gets in the room, it flips that. Grace makes a big deal about God and it puts us into a different place. Now, let me go back to my shoebox. Um, I got saved in 1979, became part of a church in 1983. I'd heard the word grace. I'd been around grace. It was a familiar expression for someone to explain grace is God's unmerited favor in your life. I, you know, I own that. I got that. I sang songs about grace. But there was a moment where God just seemed to pull back the veil further and, and reveal elements of grace to me. It was the late 1990s. Uh, we had begun to, to get influenced by leaders and publication and, and uh, what was going on in a group of churches called Sovereign Grace. They weren't called Sovereign Grace back then, but they are now Sovereign Grace churches. And so we begin to attend conferences and just hang around more and more teaching on grace. And, you know, and Gina and I, we were just greatly, greatly affected by that season. I mean, we can remember sitting in meetings and just full of tears. It was almost like if you just mentioned grace in the announcements, that was enough for us just to start crying because grace was becoming so alive to us in that season. We had our next child in the year 2000. We named her Grace because God's grace had been so, so much more amazing to us. The shoebox became so much heavier in a way that it just wasn't. Now listen, it's not to say I, there was no understanding of grace before, but, but God can just pull back veils sometimes, can he? And just give us a deeper understanding of this grace. They quote Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, all you five-year-olds can take a break for a moment. Um, he says, once we have established an understanding of God's grace and its pattern in our lives, we may mistake that for the experience of God's grace. But there is a world of difference between knowledge of the truth in this systematic sense and a personal experience of its powers. So but I, I pray for us today that what grace does to us produces in us. It affects us in such a way that that gratitude begins to be our experience. It comes out of an encounter with grace. And so I know we're, you know, we're Christians. And so we want to tell each other, Hey, we, we should be thankful. I tell myself I should be more thankful. All right. Don't ignore that. And don't turn it into a rule. Do a little diagnosis here. Lord, when my heart lacks gratitude, it lacks a deeper awareness of grace is what's missing. So don't fix the wrong thing here. Don't just turn the church into, well, you know, you should sound like this. You know, you should, you know, you should be more thankful. Shame on you. Uh, if I'm not more thankful, it may be because I've got a styrofoam box of grace rather than a solid gold realization of that grace. So here's my two-week phrase. Gratitude gets personally expressed as grace gets deeply realized. So let's, let's travel with Paul here for a moment. Paul's going to unpack his encounter with grace beginning in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I just want to take his thoughts apart here. But I want you to see that Paul decides to make a big deal 
about the word grace. He almost singles it out. So he started with the gospel. He's unpacked justification. He's unpacked the person and work of Christ. But then he says, last of all, in verse 8, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then he begins to describe himself. I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And as he encounters the weight of that self-analysis, the word grace comes to mind for him. But, but, by the grace of God, I am what I am. My story changed, my reality changed because this concept about God, the grace of God has done something to me. And this is, this is familiar for Paul. Paul is going to pull grace out. And I want to say this carefully because, you know, grace is intricately woven into the gospel in a way that I don't, you can't separate it necessarily, but he does. He, he pulls it out and says, hey, did you notice this in addition to this? He does that in Romans chapter 5 as well. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he he says, hey, there's this person in work, there's what Jesus did to make us right with God, but also, he says, we have access into this grace. I said, you notice in both settings, Paul pulls grace out so we can stare at it by itself a little bit and let it have an impact on our lives. And I think the impact is more in these daily spaces. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, in the New Testament, and especially in Paul, not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the entire living of the Christian life can be seen to result from God's continuous bestowal of grace. So it's one thing for us to say, hey, we're saved by grace. And we associate that with justification. But how are we doing pulling grace into the daily spaces of our lives? There is a continuous bestowal of grace that feels a little different. I know justification, if you will, was the paperwork. It was the The decision in the courts of heaven to accept and to stamp that paid in full dimension, completely accepted before God, totally justified, declared by God to be innocent according to the innocence and the righteousness of Christ. So we can have a sense that that happened back when Jesus accomplished for us his work on our behalf. But but grace, grace is right now. Grace is right here. Grace is showing up in the spaces of our lives. Grace is continuous and it's active. Grace, if you will, is is the electricity running in the walls of our lives so that when we flip a switch, there's a reason why that switch does something. Because the right now grace of God is present and it's active in our lives. J.I. Packer says, in the New Testament, grace is a word of central importance, the key word in the fact of Christianity. Grace is the sum and substance of New Testament faith. So I want to pull apart, I'm going to list five here, and for some reason your outline has two number ones, so that's not how we count normally, but it is today. Um, I have five realizations that Paul makes about grace in this passage. I'm not going to get to them all. Probably just going to do the the first few. But Paul realizes something about the grace of God. And if you will, it's the realizations that begin to put amazing back in grace. What I would like for us to be able to do, and we're going to sing this song at the end. I, I would like for us to have a hard time singing the song Amazing Grace without tears flowing down our face. And maybe it's been a long time since... You sang amazing grace with an awareness of how amazing grace really is. And I hope today will will help us. Let's look at what Paul realized about this grace. Number one, the realization of one's 
unworthiness. This is what he said in verse 9. He said, for I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Now, this is, this is a man who is amazed by the grace of God. This is where he starts. This concept has fallen on such hard times in our day. Can we just let the Bible say what it's saying and not pollute it with pop psychology of today? This is a man who, when he talks about the grace of God in the same context, he's going to mention his own unworthiness. And and today it feels like we have jettisoned any sense of any awareness of any unworthiness about ourselves. It's, It's almost like that's the one thing no one should ever have to deal with is a sense of personal unworthiness and inadequacy. But yet Paul doesn't hesitate to bring it up. And he also does it over and over again in the New Testament, right? If we were looking back in Romans chapter five, again, Romans five, verse six, Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, right? These are not flattering words. I mean, people come up and call me weak and ungodly. I'm not like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life all right let's pay attention to everything that's in this passage the love of God is in this passage God shows his love for us the justification of God the complete news of our acceptance is in this passage along with descriptions of us that include weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Paul is aware of something about himself, and he actually uses it strategically. For him, this, those words provide leverage. They provide the means through which grace is amazing. And that's the whole point of why he's saying that. His sense of self-awareness and disqualification is what makes God's grace even bigger. Because this is my description. I was weak, I was ungodly, I was a sinner, and I was God's enemy. Much more, if God did for me in that condition, with those descriptions, what he did for me, much more, what will he do now? Now that I'm his child, now that I belong to him, now that I'm part of his family, I'm no longer an enemy. But if that's what made up the description of me as a human being, wow! Isn't grace amazing? But if you rob the Bible of that description, you got grace, but you don't really have amazing grace anymore. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. He starts with a very unflattering reality into which grace is going to come. Ephesians 2 verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Right? Don't, don't, don't read past the insult too fast. You, you were not alive to something good. You were dead. You were dead to all that's righteous and good and godly. Oh, and worse than that, you weren't just like dead sitting there. You were active in your deadness. You were actively following the devil. That's what that verse is saying about every last one of us. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were full of desires. This is this Paul just saying, yeah, you were doing exactly what you wanted to do. You were following the devil and you were doing exactly what you wanted to do. Now, how, how many of us know that if somebody just walked up and broke that news to us, we would argue with them. Number one, I was not following the devil. I'm not some devil worshiper. Thank you very much. But the Bible sees it differently. The Bible breaks news to us that there, there is a spiritual force in this world. And he is the, the author of the sinful conditions. He is the author, if you will, of the alternatives to God. That's what he did in the garden. He offered man an alternative. And the moments we choose something besides God, we have chosen the alternative. And we are, therefore, though we've never thought it through this way, and I don't mean to sound super weirdo, we are following the devil. Now, you may not realize that, but the original derailer of humanity was the devil in the Garden of Eden who said, hey, can I give you another choice besides God? That was it. So whenever we alienate God from the supremacy of our choices, we are following the devil and we're doing exactly what we want to do. That's how the Bible describes us. Paul goes out of his way to highlight that. And then he installs in verse four, this great adversative moment, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right? Grace gets jacked up. Grace gets amazing by what just came before it. Humanity was a self-absorbed, devil-following, do what we want, follow the passions of our own heart, alienated from God group of people. But God stepped into that moment, into that condition. That was the raw material into which grace makes its appearance. That's what makes grace amazing. This isn't like a pretty good situation. You know, oh, yeah, Keith, come on. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, the world's not perfect, right? But I mean, people are well-intended. They're trying, you know? That's what grace came into. You might have grace, but you don't have amazing grace in that moment. And then it says, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why'd you do that? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's a continuing thing, isn't it? That, that's a thought in my mind that right now as I conceive of grace, I have an image of God sitting on the edge of his seat thinking how he can lavish it on my life. That's what he's doing every day of my life. He is considering for all eternity, how can he lavish grace on my life? That's what that verse says. J.R. Packer says something interesting about this element of unworthiness. In knowing God, he says, modern men and women are convinced that despite all their little peccadilloes, drinking, gambling, reckless driving, sexual laxity, black and white lies, sharp practice in trading, dirty reading, and what have you, they are at heart thoroughly good folks. Then as pagans do, they imagine God as a magnified image of themselves and assume that God shares, listen to this phrase, his own complacency about himself. Can you just chew on that phrase for a second? Right, because we kind of pull near to God. There's all these peccadilloes, whatever your categories of issues that you think might offend God. And, and our, we install in God the same way we feel about sin. We're not all that bothered by it. He's not either. God is as complacent about sin as we are. But what if that's not true? See, if God is as lax and he's not bugged and none of this stuff bothers him, you, you might have grace, but you don't have amazing grace anymore. It's not until you realize God's not all right with sin. That when he lavishes himself on us, that's pretty amazing for him to do that. 
The thought of themselves as creatures fallen from God's image, rebels against God's rule, guilty and unclean, in God's sight, fit only for God's condemnation, never enters their heads. Probably can't preach a message without mentioning something about COVID these days. Um, Right, for whatever reason, you know, whatever reason you got, I'm not being political here, I'm just making an observation. Some people approach the the COVID virus differently than somebody else. Uh, For some people, you know, there's a vaccine, take the vaccine, take some kind of medications. For some people, no, absolutely not. Um, You know, COVID offers something that cancer doesn't. COVID offers you a condition that 99% of a chance you're going to be fine, right? I mean, it's, it's not ideal. Nobody wants to get it, but for the most part, we're, we're, we're going to probably survive it. You ever notice when someone's diagnosed with cancer, they don't respond the same way? Because it's a much more serious condition, isn't it? Right, I get, yeah, well, the vaccine could do this to you, and it might do that to you, et cetera, et cetera. Anybody pay attention to what chemotherapy does to people? It's horrible. It beats the daylights out of your body. It causes all kinds of side effects. Yet people take chemotherapy regularly. Why? Because the situation is darn serious. It's a serious condition. See, one of the reasons that Jesus as a savior is not all that appealing to many, many folks is they have no idea how serious their condition is. He's a vaccine for something I could get over anyway. No, he's not. He's your only hope for ever being cured of a disease that is going to kill you. It's going to kill you in two ways. It's going to kill your physical body. But it's going to kill you spiritually. In one way, it already has. If you don't know Jesus, you're apart from his life. There's a life in God that God intended to dwell inside each one of us. And what death does is it removes that life. And that was the death Adam died and Eve died. And you and I have the hope in the gospel of that returning to us. But apart from conversion and the spirit of God coming to us, we are dead and we will enter eternity apart from God. There will be a death. It is a serious, serious condition. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a like me. That's not a popular word today. It's a, it's a biblical concept. It is one that Paul, when he talks about grace, he's got no problem bringing that up. We, we need to rescue biblical words for ourselves today. Now I get, listen, if the if the only thing you ever heard from the Bible, from a preacher, is um, God is holy and you are horrible. And that's all you ever heard. Every message sounded like God is holy and you are horrible. Welcome back to church this week. Can we just reestablish a couple of facts? God is holy and you are horrible. Oh, by the way, you're more horrible than you ever thought you were. Can I, can I pick on some categories of horrible this morning to convince you you're horrible? God is holy and you are horrible. But in the same verses where these things are highlighted, the love of God and the justification of God is highlighted as well. And they use these concepts to jack them up. The reason why these things are amazing to us is because our condition being loved by God and being justified by him was a terrible condition. And that God would come to us in grace is pretty darn amazing. Paul's second realization Realization that grace defines us. And this one takes a little bit to unpack, so I'm going to read a little bit more passage here than I normally would. But, but grace, grace is what writes our story. Something in God that intends to do us good in spite of ourselves. And even in contradiction to ourselves. Right? Paul said, I was the least of the apostles. Oh, really? Paul, you were the least of the apostles? How many of y'all can name the 12 apostles? I know we can get through like four or five of them probably. And then we start going, uh, 
was like a weird one named Thaddeus or something. And uh, you can name Paul though, can't you? Nobody writes more than Paul. Well, maybe Luke does. Um, Paul's a significant figure, isn't he? His recognition that he was the least of the apostles had no impact on how big of an apostle he would become. Why was that? Because of the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace is what determines and writes the script and defines our lives. Now, back up in the, this is, this is where, uh, I'm going to give you these passages. You can go live in them this week. I hope you enjoy just meditating on some of this. Romans 9 is a very complicated chapter in the Bible. Don't avoid it. It's extremely helpful. Romans 9 verse 6. This is, this is Paul unpacking grace in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Right? This is the answering the question, why aren't all the Jews serving God right? That's what's going on in this moment. And now there's an explanation here being given by Paul. He says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time, this is back in Genesis, God's promise to, to Abraham. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, one forefather, Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. If you just ball that whole phrase together, that's the grace of God. And he's going to say that in just a minute in the next chapter. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. All right, I'm not going to unpack the hated part. I know everybody's curious about that, but I'm not even going to touch it. Observe, though, that Jacob is who he is by the grace of God. And if you'd met Jacob, you would have been puzzled by that. If you knew Jacob, you'd know this, this trickster of a human being, this guy who would take advantage of you, this manipulator of a person, is going to be chosen by God. Because why? Because he was better than somebody else? Because he pulled it together? Because he passed a test? He impressed God somehow? No. God goes out of his way to say, I do some things before any good or bad is even in the equation, before anything good or bad had been done by any of these folks, by grace, I had already decided to do this and to do this and to do this. And there's a whole list of folks here. Abraham. Why does Abraham, why are we still talking about Abraham? You understand Abraham was a man named Abram on the other side of the world who worshiped the moon. Why do you and I even know who he is? Because by grace, God chose him. God invaded this dark man's life who was actively worshiping a false god and revealed himself graciously to him and made promises to him. Because he had done something good or bad? No. Because God was extending his grace into Abram's life. And God does that one person after another. Listen, the script of our lives gets written in the grace-oriented planning of God. The, the good scripts and the ones you might call bad. How, how does Joseph become Joseph? You recognize Joseph, what a significant Old Testament figure. Joseph continues and protects the lineage of the Messiah and the promise made to Abraham. He is no small player. But part of his life stinks out loud. He is ostracized by his family. He's abused by his family. Use the words that mean something to us today. 
He is rejected by his family. He is sent away, falsely accused. Uh, false justice falls upon him. He is, his reputation is ruined and destroyed. Right? At some moment, in that moment of his life, no one wants his story. I don't want his story. I don't want to live in that story. But I am going to find out that by the grace of God, Jacob is, uh, Joseph is who God called Joseph to be. And a massive plan is going to unfold in his life. And that's, just pick a character. That's true of David. It's all true all the way down to you get to the apostle Paul, who says, I was the least of the apostles. I don't even know how this happened. But let me just tell you, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Romans 11, Paul goes a little bit further and says this, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scriptures say of Elijah when he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. God, whatever's going on here, it ain't working. That's what Elijah is saying. And that's the question in the New Testament. If everybody who's a Jew is not a follower of Jesus, did God's word fail? That's the question that's being asked right here. But what is God's reply to him? Quote, this is what God says. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. This, I hope you'll take some time and meditate on some of these concepts. This is a moment in which it looks like the wheels have come off of anything good. Elijah had that moment. God, they're all doing the wrong thing. There's nobody left. It's like me, God, really? This is your plan? This is your plan. Everybody who's called by your name doing the wrong thing, I'm, so I'm left by myself. This is your plan. And God has to say, uh, Elijah, back it down, buddy. There's some things going on here you just don't fully get. There is always my grace at work. And there's a remnant who is chosen by grace. And isn't it a good thing? Because if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us would stand in line to follow Jesus. None of us would. Don't think for a second that you would have found Jesus on your own. And you would have willingly laid over, given over the keys of your life and said, whatever you want, for whatever purpose you have for my life, from now on, I'm yours. We would have never done that. The Bible clearly says the reason we do it is because we have been chosen by grace in our lives. Let me get to this third point before I run out of time. Paul realizes this, the realization that grace is intentional specific and targeted that grace is intentional specific and targeted listen i get that there is this grace that's in our world we call it common grace i think it's a good phrase the common grace of the rain that falls when it falls it falls for everybody right it makes the crops grow for everyone the sun comes up signs its light on everybody and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous there's air to breathe you don't have to be a christian to breathe air there's air available for everyone. There's all kinds of things in this world where there is an aspect of God's grace in the world that we live in. But Paul highlights something different here. Right? He says, his first, verse 10, he says, his grace toward me was not in vain. Me. In fact, Paul's a little self-obsessed here in this passage. In these three verses, he's going to use a personal pronoun nine times. He was very aware that there wasn't just some concept of grace out there, some generalized sense that God does good to, you know, humanity. Grace was personal for him. Grace meant God shows up and uses my name. And at specific times, he's intentional toward me. Grace is specific. And he highlights that in a number of places. Romans chapter one, Verse 1, Paul says it this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel 
of God. Paul, Paul realized this about himself. Do you know how powerful is this when I realize about myself that there is a dimension of who I am that is called and set apart? God has called me. God has set me apart. There's something specific for me in this passage. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. All right, so that's Paul, right? So Paul gets personal here. But then he says this to all of us, Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Right? That's, a, that's a byproduct of grace, by the way. When grace is in the room with us, that's the effect it has because you're very aware. Right? When grace weighs a lot and it's amazing, you're very aware. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So you don't start thinking highly of yourself because you just recognize, well, all I can do is think highly of grace because I simply am what I am by the grace of God. So there's no opportunity for me to go, hey, check me out. Pretty impressive, huh? Well, I mean, I've worked pretty hard and I'm extremely dedicated at what I do. So are, are you impressed with me? If I am what I am by the grace of God, there's, there's no room for me to be impressed with me. There's a lot of room for me to be impressed with the grace of God. But to think with, your, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Right now, present in your story is an intentional dispersion of grace from God by the Spirit for you, specifically for you. Paul highlighted that about himself, but then he turned to every one of us and he says, God has done that with you as well. Which means you are uniquely, by God's design, made by him for purposes that he has given to you. And that's a wonderful thing to realize. It's a very freeing thing to realize. It, it means, and does it, can it mean this to all of us? It's okay if you're not somebody else. Can you stop wanting to be somebody else? Well, I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. I wish I could do. I wish people thought of me that way. By the grace of God, I, I am what I am. God didn't choose to make me someone else. What a gift this can be. When, I, when I'm at peace, because I recognize that God is intentional toward me. God has written a script for me, and it's not somebody else's script. Okay, so I will never be that person. I will never have that talent. I won't have that kind of accomplishment. I'm not going to have somebody else's. But what I have was what God thought of for me, specifically. It's not just this vague grace, you know, grace got sprinkled all over the earth like pixie dust. And some of us ran faster than others and scooped up more of it. And some of us have more grace than others. No, no, no. God specifically has given grace to me. He thought about it. He strategized. Which means he said, Keith, I'm going I'm to make you capable of doing this, but you're going to stink at this, by the way. But this will be okay for you. And I thought, this is really what I have for my, in my perfection. This is who I have given you the grace to be. This is true all over the room here this morning. This is not just the Apostle Paul. I appreciate it. He's telling, hey, everyone, this is true of all of us. One more thought here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me, me, by the working of his power. To, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Paul, what are you, obsessed with how bad you are? Why do you keep bringing that up? Apparently for Paul, it's not a problem for him to be in touch with that. Paul did not live a paralyzed life that he sat in a closet and just all he did was think about how terrible he was, how terrible he was. But he didn't have a problem bringing it up either. To me, I'm the very least of the saints. This grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, when I hear Paul say that that way, he pulls grace into his life in such a defining personal way. He realizes something about grace in in this life that releases him from his insecurities. Would you like to be released from your insecurities? Are there things that, you know, you just bump into things about yourself that you're just insecure about yourself? You just lack a sense of freedom and confidence in areas. Can, can, I, can I tell you, if grace is not amazing, that's contributing to that problem. It is the weightiness of grace that Paul is able to say, hey, and on the one hand, I'm the very least of the saints. On the other hand, I'm about to take the gospel to the ends of the earth under the power of God and, and nothing's going to get in my way. And I'm going to do things that, quite honestly, there's no way I can do this, but he's going to do it anyway. And people might think things about me. People might criticize me, and they did. People might find fault with me. People might think, hey, this dude thinks he's an apostle. He's not, and they said that about him, and it didn't slow him up because he was aware of the grace of God in his life. I have been given grace by God. I am then assigned by God to live a life that God has designed for me, and it's active, and it's right here present with me. And now one more mind-blowing element about God being personal. Ben, you can come back up. Your salvation, my salvation, is a specific and intentional act of God toward me. I know we're tempted to think there's this generalized grace and there are people all over the place who are taking God up on an offer. Like, like God made this announcement to the world. Hey, you want to be saved? Let me know. Limited time offer. It's going to run out. But whoever wants it, hey, it's up to you. And you know what that makes us feel like? It makes us feel like we're the mover and shaker in that moment. We come to God because we come to God. That's not how the Bible presents the grace of God to us. The Bible presents God doing something in our lives while we were his enemies, when we didn't believe, while we were following the devil, while we were left to our own vices. That if those days just unraveled and God did nothing, except publish an announcement in a newspaper somewhere that there's good news, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you want to take me up on that? Here's my number. Call me. And then God backed off and he let you and I do life one day after another, after another, after another, after year, after year, after year. Do you understand? You would have never chosen God. Never. It's not as no, at some point you would have figured something out on your own. Your conscience would have suddenly decided it's not okay to live this way. There's got to be a God. None of that. You would never have rescued yourself. So the question is, what happened? Why did you suddenly get curious about God? Why did I pick up a Bible? In 1978, never picked up a Bible in my life. Never cared to pick up a Bible in my life. But I was strangely curious to read it. So I did. I started reading it. Why? Lots of people read stuff in the Bible. Why did it make sense to me? Why did it scream out into the empty spaces of my life and shine light on my own need, on my own brokenness. Why? Why did suddenly something I'd ignored suddenly started to make sense to me? And Jesus became the answer that I needed and somehow I knew I needed it. Jaya Packer says, 
God does not owe it to anyone to stop justice taking its course. He's not obliged to pity and pardon. Grace is free in the sense of being self-originated and of proceeding from one who was free not to be gracious. Only when it is seen that what decides each individual's destiny is whether or not God resolves to save him from his sins. And that this is a decision which God need not make in any single case. Can one begin to grasp the biblical view of grace? If you have never stood and said, God, why me? Why do I know you? Why have you revealed yourself to me? Why is my heart inclined toward you? Why do I want your kingdom to come? Why? When that's a mystery, grace becomes rather amazing, doesn't it? Because all I can say is, by the grace of God, I, I am what I am. should spill out into every corner of my life. There are lots of things that I'm wondering about. How am I going to do that? How am I going to provide for that? How am I going to overcome that? Right? Then all of us asking some of these questions. Well, how did I get saved? How did I come into a relationship with God by the grace of God? I am what I am. And so now when I stare around my life, There's grace all over the place where God, for reasons in him, has chosen to bless me this way, to give that, to engage me here, to promise this. And the more I'm aware of that, the more grace is amazing. Let's do this. I want Kurt to lead us in amazing grace. Let's stand up together. And then I want to pray for us just for a moment before we dismiss. So let's let's start by singing this song together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the like me i
us from being Christians who are doing our duty by sounding grateful. Lord, would you instead reveal your grace to us so that gratitude comes out of our pores. It characterizes what we look like and sound like and smell like. But I pray for some here this morning right where they find themselves right now, or perhaps like an Elijah, perhaps like the audience for the Apostle Paul. There are just questions about, God, can your plan be coming to pass? There's so much off the tracks in my life. There's so much that just seems like it's going wrong. There's so many people not doing the right thing. God, can your plan be happening? God, would you put us in touch with the grace of God? The grace that doesn't depend on whether we've been good or bad. The grace that doesn't get generated by our human devotion, but the grace that comes from you. The grace that has reasons that you provide, that we don't have to provide. Lord, you provide the reasons. So God, all over this room, God, would you make us aware that you have, by grace, provided definitions for our lives. God, you are defining our lives. You are giving us callings. You are being intentional toward the Lord, not just as the people of God, but as Keith, Peter, James, Alice. You are thinking specifically about us. You are dispersing grace specifically to us. You are lavishing grace upon us now and you will do so for eternity. And you have us individually in mind. So God, I thank you that for those who belong to you, there's not a one who's living an unscripted life that chaos and chance has somehow invaded their lives. No, Lord, no, that's, that's just not true. You are with us in this moment. Your grace is with us in this moment. God, make us mindful. Give us a few meetings with you this week where you help us to see how by the grace of God, I am what I am. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, listen, as you dismiss, if you're here and you just need some prayer this morning, would you just come forward and find one of the guys who's here available to pray with you, whatever your need may be. You're glad to do that. And we'll see you guys again next week. Happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving this week.